for ripping bonnets. All right, welcome to Ripping Bonnets. Um, I'm Jessica. Uh, I'm Leanne. And I'm Kristen. Uh, this week, we will re- be reviewing Wanda Brunstetter's uh, Looking for a Miracle. It is book two in the Brides of Lancaster County series, following um, the niece of last week's protagonist. Um, her name is Rebecca Stoltzfus. And if you recall from the last book, she was tragically paralyzed by a tree branch that fell on her aunt's carriage in the first book. And now she is grown up and she is uh, crippled, as the book frequently reminds us. <laughs> And uh, nobody could ever possibly love her. So I'm really excited to review the way that Wanda apparently um, views people that are disabled. Yeah, that's, Mm -hmm. I think, the fundamental theme of this book is that um, the crippled, uh, sorry, the the physically handicapped are a crippled. I want to emphasize that this is repeatedly the word used here. Um, If you don't count the back cover, Rebecca is referred to as crippled eight times. Eight times in the book. Only eight, because it feels like a lot more. It does feel like more. They use a lot of other words that, like, aren't quite as bad as crippled, but, like, still, I'm like, I know what you're saying. Yeah. And the real theme here is that the physically handicapped are uh, fundamentally unable to participate in life in any meaningful way and um, are unlovable. I mean, the most that Rebecca can do is kind of wheel from, like, the table (laughs) to the sink to, like, help wash dishes. I feel like that's the extent of her. Or I think she peels apples at one point as well. She cannot reach the upper cabinets. This is repeatedly emphasized. (laughs) God forbid that uh, the Amish master cabinet makers that they are modify uh, the whole yeah. Seriously. See, I didn't even consider that. You're so right. Right? I mean, they did make her a, a ramp, uh, an accessible ramp for oh, the house. Nice. But, that, you know. But, and if you notice, too, at her friend's house, they also have a ramp for her, which I thought was very nice. It's very nice. But that stops there. That's it. It does. That's... Yeah. That, that's the extent of uh, accessibility in the Amish community. Combination stops there. Who yeah. wants to do the 60-second plot summary? Kristen, did you do it last time? The last Kristen did do it last so time. I think it's easy today. Uh, I, I'll take a crack at it. Um, this is going to okay. be tough because I feel like I read this a couple of weeks ago on an airplane now. So Yeah, yeah. Um, I probably forgot names, but that'll be... That's okay. Just descriptions. I'll, I'll set the timer. Uh, okay. Uh, let me know. Ugh, wow, jeez. I forget this whole book. Let me know when you're ready for it. Okay. Ready, set, go. Okay, so Rebecca Stolzfus was um, crippled in an accident as a child when a tree branch fell on her during a storm. She was appeared to be totally fine, with that but as she's gotten older and hornier she is um completely uh i don't know the word for it really sad about it she's really sad about it she sees her more beautiful charming cousin um be chased around by all these uh eligible young amish bachelors and uh, realizes that oh that she'll never have a family and um also um uh then she meets a a person who really likes her, and she thinks that person likes her cousin instead. She's blind to it. He wins her over, um, and um, they get married. And yes, she has kids. She's fertile. Um, and that's is that it? Did I make it? You made it under. Oh yeah. wait. I mean, oh, shit. honestly, I was trying to think of like things that you missed, but that's the pretty much the extent. Of the plot. I missed the side plot about her bitter sister. Nadine. Well, and you also missed the plot, the point where she decides that her fiance, whose name I can't even remember, despite the fact that I read this like three days, Daniel. Daniel. Um, Daniel. She becomes convinced that he is a gold digging whore who only wants her. Oh my God. I forgot. Particularly profitable nursery business that he's actually already running and doing all of the work for. 
Yes. Does anybody remember the name of her nursery business? Uh, grandma's. Grandma's place. Uh, that's right. Yes. The addendum plot. There are two side subplots. One is that her sister Nadine is incredibly jealous um, of the attention that she gets as a handicapped person. Um, and Nadine is also absolutely horny out of her mind. It cannot wait. Oh, my to... gosh. Oh, yeah. That girl is ready to climb up on anything that will have her. Yeah, I thought for sure we were going to have an unintended pregnancy subplot in this one. Do you think that there are any? I hope we come across them. I've seen it in other books. Well, what I'm wondering is if Nadine is the subject of the next book. That They are setting it up for a Nadine subplot. I don't know what the third book is about. Do you? Oh, sorry, Jessica. We'll add that in post. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, we might have to just drop the, the pretense anyway. I don't know. The book's still sitting on my bookshelf. I haven't even looked at the next one. So I think this book touched on a lot of the themes we normally see. The food had a strong presence in this again. Root beer was back. Yeah, lots of root beer. And we have a really special treat, which is at the end of this book, there was a root beer recipe. Which we're going to make. Oh, absolutely. I don't know. Where does one get root beer extra? Grocery store, man. Really? Oh, I should go. I should go down the street to the Dutch way. I did make homemade root beer once with my mom as a kid. It, it is delicious. Is it? But it makes me think of the Simpsons episode where Marge is like, I have homemade root beer for your dance. It's a little thick, but the price is right. <laughs> this book was just full repeatedly of lamenting all the things that she cannot do as a person who uses a wheelchair. And repeatedly, she's confined to the wheelchair, not enabled by the wheelchair in any way. Right. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting was they make a point several times of bringing up the fact that she actually can walk a little bit with the use of leg break, but she refuses to do that. Yeah, she doesn't like doing that. But at the end, as part of her transformation, she is using them more. Mm-hmm. Character growth, something we haven't <laughs> seen yet. You know, the book opens with Rebecca being salty that she can't join in a volleyball game during a singing and that during these singing, she's relegated to the sidelines. But she makes a comment. She says some of the boys might want to court her if she could run, jump, and laugh at their silly jokes. Well, bitch, you can laugh at a joke from a wheelchair. I know. She seems quite convinced that laughing cannot be done without the full use of your legs. I mean, maybe the laughter, you know, deep belly laugh does come from the lower half of your body. Maybe her abs. Depending on where she's paralyzed, like T9. Give us the medical. It, it depends where the exact injury occurred. The other thing that blows my mind in this book is that she is also convinced that being paralyzed also means that she is infertile. Yes. Which, last time I checked, the two are not related. No. Because Wanda Brinstetter did not, clearly did not do any medical research any whatsoever. And instead, None. her fertility <laughs> remains a source of open speculation where she herself seems to not know, but assumes she cannot have kids, but doesn't actually know for sure. And I wanted to be like, just ask the doctor. She said there is one point where she did, and she says that the doctor said that they aren't sure and that sometimes women with spinal cord injuries can have t- It's not that they're not fertile. It's probably just that it's not advised for some of them to get pregnant. I'm thinking, like, especially quadriplegics. Right. It would probably be very difficult to, like, actually carry a pregnancy physiologically. And I mean, I'd imagine she'd have to have a C-section. Yeah. That's easy enough. There are a lot of women that are in wheelchairs that, like, get pregnant and have babies. So that also just, like, perplexed me. I'm like... It would make more sense if they, like, kind of tied it to, like, I don't know, some type of, type of internal injury. Yes. Or even if they had just made it about how would I chase after a child, how would I... Right, logistics. Right, but no, they're saying because I was injured, I can't have kids, and it just, it, it bothered me. The other thing, I don't want to skip ahead to the very, very end. Maybe we should discuss the rest of the book before I, I discuss, like, my major, major issue with the very end of the book. No, I'd say go for it. Just go for it. We jump forward quite quickly and she eventually does get married to Daniel. But at her wedding, um, her cousin Mary Ellen, who was married earlier in the book, is uh, pregnant and about to deliver. They say that she is over two weeks due, which is just horrifying <laughs> to me. Because you, 
Yeah, who let that happen? The lay midwife that mm-hmm. was taking care of her, obviously. Mm-hmm. The baby is in so much distress. It's going to be covered in meconium coming out. And then they're convinced. They're like, oh, she. we don't have time to get her to the hospital. So while the wedding <laughs> dinner is going on downstairs, Mary, Mary Ellen's just going to pop a baby out on the bed upstairs. A baby that's two weeks overdue already. Yeah, which is definitely going to end up on ECMO, probably, because it's yeah. going to aspirate meconium into its lungs. However, they also make the comment, oh, there's no time to go to the hospital. These people don't go to the hospital and have babies. Yeah, where was the research in that, Wanda? There was none. There was. She obviously has consulted nobody outside that. She just assumes that, you know, people pop babies out upstairs while there's a wedding feast going on downstairs. How awkward would that be? Could you imagine being there? You're just sitting there trying to have a nice time, talking to Emma. Jacob, and then all of a sudden, Mary Ellen's just wailing. Screaming through that ring of fire. Yeah, screaming through the ring of fire. Maybe this is further evidence for the Wanda Brunstetter's children are actually ventriloquist dummies theory. She hasn't been through childbirth. Yes. <laughs> Clearly, she has never experienced labor. Or ever even seen it. And, like, you being over two weeks, like, overdue, that's not, that's not a thing. It doesn't happen anymore. And if it does, the outcomes are very poor. So I really hope Mary Ellen's child's alive. Yeah, I don't. We don't know how that kid's gonna come out. Um, by the way, I want to say normally when we've the last episodes we've been doing this drinking wine. I'm out of wine, so I'd like to try smoking weed tonight. Load up while we're having this discussion. Rip those bong hits. Can I just tell you something funny? So the last last episode, I I have the whiskey bottle, Uh right? Well, so the next morning, I get up to go, you know, shower for clinical. It's five a.m. I absolutely shatter my shower oh, door. Oh, I the saw that door. on Facebook. Yeah. Shower door shatters, blood all over the place, glass everywhere. I was late to clinical. It also happened to be the day that my cleaning people come. So oh, good timing. I text, I text Fernando. Yeah, I know. Well, I text Fernando and I'm like, just don't go in the master bathroom. There's glass and blood everywhere. <laughs> well, he did go in the master bathroom and now we're convinced because seeing the glass, the blood, and also the half empty whiskey bottle on my husband's side Ooh. of the bed, we're convinced that our cleaning people think that we are in a highly abusive relationship. You know, they see a lot of shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they definitely think that your husband got drunk and threw you through that shower. Window. Yeah. Yeah. It's- were you okay? I mean, now I am. <laughs> what part of you did you cut? Um, All of me because I was in the shower when the door exploded. What do you think made it explode? Oh, I know exactly what made it explode. There's like a little plastic piece on the bottom that we kept trying to glue down and it kept coming off. So we both decided together, intelligent adults were like, we probably don't need it. It's probably fine. <laughs> it, was, it was load bearing. <laughs> um, it was actually pretty essential because one of the things that it did is make sure that the glass, when you opened it, opened into the rubber stopper and not into the tiles um i don't know if i just had some like she hulk strength or what that morning but i just opened it a little too hard did you have to like go get glass picked out of you well i picked most of the glass out of me um actually i picked all the glass out of me you had that skill i mean my arms are finally healed it was like my arms got a lot of my belly button i stepped on some so there were like bloody footprints everywhere we haven't rectified the problem because it's two weeks later, our cleaning people are coming this week, and our half-drunk whiskey bottle is still sitting on the nightstand. Is there still blood everywhere? That would be... Um, no, we cleaned it up. <laughs> That's too bad. Well, you know, much like your life, and I'm just gonna, I think this is a pretty smooth transition. I'm pretty proud of this transition I'm about to go to. All medical, all Amish Navars also have a medical emergency involved. Yeah. This one, it was the overturned uh, wagon. Yes. Please review the plot point of the overturned wagon and how we get to it. We learn that Rebecca has never been allowed to learn to drive the horse and buggy. Too crippled to drive. Despite the fact that I'm pretty sure you actually don't use your feet you, you when don't. driving a horse. You definitely How's she gonna press the gas, baby? <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that they can modify gas cars. They can. They can. If you watch Little People Big World, you learn a lot about vehicle modification. But she chooses to take the horse and buggy out 
anyway. Well, she had broken up with Daniel because she was convinced that he just wanted her for the money that grandma's place was bringing in. And she just decided. We need to talk more about that. Anyway, it's, but... Yeah, it's ridiculous. The whole premise is ridiculous. But so she finally realizes that, oh, my God, I actually love him and he loves me. I have to go tell him. So she takes her the horse and she cons her brother into hooking up the horse and buggy. And she starts driving, but it's snowy winter Lancaster roads. It's very slippy. And then she happens upon an overturned buggy. And it happens to be Daniel's buggy and his parents. Mm-hmm. But she's unable to help because, again, as previously emphasized, she is fucking crippled. Right. Yeah, she can't even get out. She can just kind of yell into the to the overturned carriage. Hello? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Are you okay? Good, good morning. <laughs> good morrow. Good morrow. Would you like some foamy root beer? <laughs> also, it, she does save their lives, or not save their lives, save them time uh, in the overturned buggy by going back and getting help. But she's in trouble because she's taken the buggy. Isn't she like 23? No, she's like 17. The amount of time that's passed between this and the last book is ambiguous to me every time. I couldn't quite figure out exactly. It is. So they specify at one point that she's ninth, and her cousin is the teacher, the new teacher at the schoolhouse. Daniel's a little bit older. He's like, yeah, Daniel's definitely older. You can never have an older Amish woman marry a younger Amish man. That just wouldn't. So far, these books have actually had multiple medical emergencies. I forgot that this one also. Daniel got kicked. He gets kicked by a cow in his dad's dairy farm. His leg is busted. And his leg is broken. I forgot it. So yeah, now we're up to uh, a father with a heart attack. Uh-huh. Um, a paralyzed niece. Um, Grandma dies. Grandma oh. Stoltzfus dies very early in this book. Strong foreshadowing on that, by the way. I know. Yeah, like super strong. And she died with her Bible in her hand. Uh-huh. How powerful. Mm-hmm. Very powerful. And in fact, Grandma's death is what inspires uh, the protagonist to start her business because Grandma loved plants. She left an orchid. Violets takes a lot of cuttings and starts most of her plants. Yep. Decides that she, uh, an appropriate profession vocation for a a cripple such as herself would be to start a greenhouse. Boy, this greenhouse. Let's talk about her business model. So, I have feelings about this. I think we all do. I'm hoping they're all the same. Go ahead, Kristen. Yeah. So, the whole point of her starting this business is she decides that even though she can't, you know, live independently or function on her own because she's too crippled, that she can at least be financially independent. Now, I'm not exactly sure what financial independence means if you still plan on living in other people's homes not actually she wants her own her own root beer money i think (laughs) basically but so the whole premise is that this is going to be her way of being independent and that she's starting this business because of her love of plants we very quickly learn that she does not actually know anything about plants and daniel ends up giving her every good business idea that she has the entire book i can't believe that she didn't think of half of these when she's like i'm going to open a greenhouse he's like why don't you sell other stuff for the garden too like birdhouses and she's like oh my god genius this whole thing is everyone's idea but hers mary ellen is the one who tells her to get the greenhouse in the first place and then inexplicably later asked her but what will you sell do you have enough plants and flowers which i don't understand i think well so and this is my major problem with her business model like i think at least two times in the book she hires a driver to go into town to buy plants from the established greenhouse in town right that you're then gonna like go and sell at a slight markup like it can't be sustainable like did she submit a business plan i want to see a business plan her business plan is, and this is emphasized repeatedly, that the greenhouse has a fucking kerosene heater to keep her warm in the winter. <laughs> and a small bed for her to lay down yes. if she gets tired? Like, I don't understand the bed in the greenhouse. It's very tiring. Also, 
there's this weird implication that she would, you know, the greenhouse mostly attracts other Amish and Mennonite customers that 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 apparently some English city folk would come. And then there's this disdainful moment where the English walk in, ask her what she sells. It is a fucking greenhouse, but they have to ask. (laughs) And uh, she replies, plants, flowers, uh, garden related items, and says, Rebecca had to wonder why these people didn't know what things were sold in a greenhouse. They were obviously city folk. She didn't even know what to sell. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Has Wanda Brunstetter met was... anyone who lives in the city? We, I, I I'm not sure Wanda Brunstetter has met a person. <laughs> Just been short questions. Can I tell you my favorite Amish greenhouse that I've ever been to? Like my favorite yes. part of it is on the door is a sign stating that the visitors had to be modestly dressed. And if they were not modestly dressed, they would be asked to leave. <gasps> How modestly yeah. do you think that means? Well, um, obviously more modestly than my tank top because I was asked to leave. Nice. Oh, yep. shit. How exactly did they ask you to leave? Well, so it was the Amish teenager and she asked me if I had like a sweater that I could put on over my tank top and it was fucking July. So the answer was no. And so then she just kind of looked at me and I was like, okay, fine, I'll leave. <laughs> That's such an interesting contrast of lifestyle because last night at two in the morning, I was out eating pizza when I was really drunk and I pulled my <laughs> boob out of my tank top to... <laughs> Just in the course of conversation, it felt like natural. This is my boob. And yeah, see how yeah, long yeah. until other people might have noticed the nibble. Uh, it made the person I was with visibly uncomfortable, which is primarily why I did it. No one asked me to leave. I would have loved to be with you because it would not have made me uncomfortable. No, not at all. Yeah, the person I was with kept like leaning over and trying to like sort of like shield <laughs> others from <laughs> from seeing your your forbidden skin. <laughs> wow, would love to visit it that is- greenhouse with you. Oh, it's like right down the road. Next time you come, we'll have to go. You should pull your tits out. I would pull my tits out. I have another plot point I'd like to talk about in here, which is, it's really a dropped plot point of the Convention for Disabled Amish People. Oh my god, I would have loved to go to that. It must exist. Do you think it exists in real life? I don't know. I'm going to Google it. So the book opens with her, Rebecca's mother would like, hears about a convention for Amish people. She would like her to go. Rebecca does not go. They talk about it a long time. And it passes on the calendar, and then it's it's just never it's just never brought up again. Uh, and it's but it sounds like the way it's talked about, she would go at the end and maybe find a husband there or find a community. Oh, it's like a little people convention, like a little people convention. Get, yeah, then they all get married off. No, no need to incorporate that in the plot again. Daniel, when he breaks his leg, is suddenly able to empathize more or less with her situation, uh, which hastens their relationship, and she has no need to find a a community of of people after that i guess one of the other things that really frustrates me is she has to be that like i'm not convinced that she didn't also sustain a traumatic brain injury when she was hit by the tree limb because she is just convinced like daniel i think especially for an amish man is making it extremely explicit that he is interested in her and every time he talks to her she's like i don't know why he's talking to me like i'm not mary ellen it's like <laughs> bitch he wants to where fuck did that you. even come from there is literally zero indication anywhere like like they don't even set it up for you to be able to understand why she thinks you like I think that you're just supposed to assume that because Mary Ellen has working legs, of course he would be more interested in her. Like, I think that that's what you're supposed to assume, but I'm not positive. Like, despite his never having expressed any interest in her or made any move to talk to her. No. Yeah. 
And even like he he told her that he wanted to drive her home in his buggy from the the singing that they were going to go to. And even then she's like, oh, it's like must be a shame for him to have to drive me home instead of Mary Ellen. I'm like, he never mentioned Mary Ellen. He doesn't he doesn't want Mary Ellen. Uh, One of the passages about Mary Ellen, uh, her lamentation about Mary Ellen, she says, my cousin looks so cute whenever she laughs. I'm sure that's why all the fellows hang around her so much of the time. That and the fact that she's got two good legs and can join in their fun and games. Rebecca glanced down at her lifeless legs. Two dead sticks, that's all they were. Sure weren't good for much. And I wrote in response, quote, don't need legs when you got a pop and pussy, end quote, Corinthians 12. <laughs> yep. Uh, and we find out later that she does, in fact, have a popping and working pussy when she delivers Popping and working pussy. Uh-huh. Which is the only thing a pussy is good for. I got a whole beef with this, which is that they were setting it up to note that the miracle she is praying for in this book is to walk again so that she can get married and have a husband. She learns that that is not how God performs miracles, but then a miracle is performed in her life by meeting Daniel. And, but then they set it up for a happy ending where she finds out she can, in fact, have children. R- why shy away from conflict, Wanda? Why not? Surely there must be infertile Amish people who stay married to each other. Correct, Jessica? Oh, there are. Well, you have to stay married to each other. There's no option. There's no divorce. It's so interesting to me because I I don't know if it's like this in the Amish church as much as it is like in the fundamentalist uh, belief system, which we've already established is what these um, books are primarily written for. But they see children as a blessing. So the converse of that would be they see infertility as like, you know, you did something bad. But then when people experience infertility, like it's never explicitly stated that like oh you must have done something bad it's also always like well just pray you just have to pray more just if pray you just harder. pray more you just haven't prayed enough like you should just pray for the blessing of children where it's like no amount of praying is gonna you know make you ovulate if you don't ovulate or like make your husband's sperm count increase if he doesn't have any life like it just doesn't make sense there was a another thing and i have a request for you jessica i really would like to find out if this is true one plot point is that um rebecca writes rebecca's deceased grandmother previously wrote for the amish uh newspaper the budget and mm-hmm. we note that she has turned the column over to rebecca and this is one of the uh, few joys in rebecca's life writing a column for the budget um oh, God. first of all i've never heard of intergenerational column ownership but who am i to say <laughs> second of all they mention the budget and they also note the name of another amish newspaper which is escaping right now but ho- jessica can do amish news Letters and papers exist, I assume, yes. And if so, have they you seen do. them? They do. They do. I've actually never gotten my hands on one. I could work on that. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll work on it. I'll work on it. They do exist. I do know that they exist. I don't know that they exist, like, out for public consumption. Yeah. But I can, I can see what I can do about procuring do one. Do you, uh, can you just rob some mailboxes? I could. Thank you. I could, yeah. Thank you very much. I know. Oh, my other thing. So her, her cousin's husband, Johnny, is portrayed as this very suave Amish man like did you get that sense like he was just like so smooth and so cool and so happy-go-lucky like almost like we were supposed to look down on him when they described him I thought of your brother your own did you really yeah your your old oh my god you know which one I mean oh my god yeah yeah that one yep He's a real jokester. In fact, they say in the beginning, right in the beginning, he had he'd shared some jokes to which I noted, I wonder what Amish jokes are like. And then a few pages later, I found out exactly what Amish jokes are like <laughs> because she told a joke. This is the joke. I might be willing to f- share my food with one of my special aunts, A-U-N-T-S, but never with a bunch of picnic ants, A-N-T-S. Hilarious. That's, that's an Amish joke. I actually, in my episode notes, 
just have what is joke because clearly they don't know. And then page 47 is what I wrote next to that when I was reading this drunk at two in the morning. So let me see what happened on page 42. June's was hot and sticky. I wonder what we can expect from the rest of our summer. Probably more hot muggy days. He replied with a chuckle. And then Mary Ellen joins him in laughing and they all act like this is the funniest thing anyone's ever said. It's not funny. (sighs) Oh, Weather, you're so crazy. (laughs) Weather existing. Look at you. See, we're really obsessed with the weather in this that's the other thing that I had forgotten to mention. About the weather, the weather dialogues? Oh, yeah. No, and especially it being hot and muggy. That is brought up at least 20 times. That's what I wrote. I wrote, I highlighted the phrase that says, sure is a hot, muggy day, isn't it? And the other says, yeah, but then that's typical summertime weather. And my note is riveting dialogue. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think so. I think part of the reason the dialogue in, the, in these books is just so terrible is that they've taken a lot of the interesting stuff away. Like they can't talk really about the opposite sex in any sort of like interesting manner they can't talk about current events um they can't talk about really anything except for the weather or their job oh speaking of jobs did anyone notice the implied homophobia which which part daniel does not want to work on his father's masculine dairy farm but he has always had a a secret love of plants of flowers yeah his father does not like that Mm -hmm. Uh i did notice that and i wrote a note there's he implies it for a long time that he he's got a love for flowers that he hasn't indulged but then at some point that implication escalates to where he is discussing that love with mary ellen he says that like his he uses an amish phrase to say that his father thinks he's basically fucked in the head, which... He's a little fruity. little fruity. He's a little fruity. His first proposition to Mary Ellen is that they be business partners, which disappoints her because then she thinks, oh, he just wants me for my business. Which, again, he's already basically running before he's ever gotten together with her. He's making all of the lawn ornaments that she sells. He he has to tell her to sell fucking poinsettias for Christmas. He made it handicap accessible. Yeah, yeah. True. he created a pulley system for her. Can we allow for the possibility that maybe Daniel is gay and he's like, oh, finally, like I can use this woman in a wheelchair as my beard? But the strongest evidence for that is a line where he says to her, we have so much in common, what with our love for flowers at all, and I want to court you. But so much in common with their love of flowers. Yeah, so much that we both love I think we can all guess, and our listeners can probably guess, but how did the Amish feel about the gays? Um, Negative. Yeah, not a fan. Not really a fan. But how do they feel about business partners? Better? Uh, Probably better. Probably better. better. I mean, if they're going to be business partners of the opposite sex, then obviously they have to get married. They can't be spending so much time together. That would be... That's why they have to pretend not to be business partners. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. That's right. He does have to hide his business partnership. Oh, from his father unrelated but i do um this is the first time i've seen them mention and this is true i've seen this in my own eyes the amish love of rollerblading they do love to rollerblade yeah they love the blades why except to establish wanda's amish cred she's seen them rollerblade right because unless you spent any sort of like appreciable time in amish country you would have no idea why would that even be a thing in your mind unless you've seen it makes no sense but they do. Why is this a thing? Do you have any insight into that? I, I think it's just another manner of being able to travel more quickly than walking. So um, there's there are multiple strange forms of Amish transportation. One of them is rollerblading. Um, you know, there's obviously the horse and buggies. But another one that I find really weird are like the um, are scooters. I was going to ask if they use scooters. Yeah, they do use scooters where they like put the, you know their foot on the platform and use their other foot to 
to scoot along. But the um, Razor Revolution must have been really exciting for them. Oh, yeah. The the Razor scooters might have been too worldly, you know, with all the colors and Are they wooden scooters? I don't know. I'm going to have to look closely. (laughs) Old-timey wooden scooters that actually aren't very wheels. I'm glad that they embraced round wheels. Uh, there was a second portrayal of the English as ignorant and uh, narrow-minded where when Rebecca goes out to, I don't know, steal somebody's plants, purchase plants for markup. And um, two English boys see her in and immediately decide to. Oh, yes. And bully, bully her. her. Bully they her. Bully her. For being in a wheelchair. Yes. And grab her wheelchair and spin her around. Yeah. And they, they spill her food. Does this happen i don't know like i maybe i'm just naive to stuff like this but i can't ever envisioning a situation where anybody would come across an a young amish woman in a wheelchair and then they would just like grab it and spin her around and make fun of her and also where was everybody so this is like portrayed as like a bustling market <laughs> no one noticed this no one no, well exactly and nobody said anything like i can't imagine that happening at the green dragon or at roots it wouldn't, it just wouldn't. Somebody would step in. Also, the bullying escalates more from being in a wheelchair. Sorry, I'm smoking up. <laughs> I guess that's the danger of this. This is ripping bonnets with ripping bonnets. <laughs> ripping bonnets. She he goes, she's got her salad that she has uh, carefully chosen, and which has been described in depth for us. And the less we can't visualize, less you cannot visualize a fucking salad. And he leans and he says, yeah. And how come you eat all that healthy food? And he poked his friend on the arm. You know, Joe, I hear tell that many Amish folk still grow a lot of their own food, just like the pioneers used to do. He stared right at Rebecca. Is that true, little Missy? Is it? Huh? So she's using the bullies as Amish exposition tools. (laughs) And also, as we established in our previous episodes, Amish food is not healthy. Not healthy. It's not no. healthy. I mean, I think that probably we could read out some of the menus from this restaurant that they go to like seven times yeah. in this book. Read it. Who has that passage marked? Because it, it was like, you couldn't just order one item. You order, either ordered a... F- oh, it's like a whole meal. Here we go. Here we are. Oh, and this is a small, small piece, but it, I, I had a note about it when I just got my episode notes and it reminded me. So Rebecca picks this restaurant. Yes. It's your favorite restaurant. Yes. And when they get to the restaurant, she's upset because it's family-style dining. And she's uncomfortable sitting with strangers because, obviously, she's crippled. Yes. Now, in, number in one. we forgot. There are, like, 50 people in your community. I'm pretty sure everyone already knows who you are and that you're in a wheelchair. This is not news. Right. Shouldn't but be. But number two, you picked the restaurant, you dumb bitch. <laughs> Were you not expecting this? And I'm sure she's been there before. Oh, she- Yeah, no. She mentions that it's her favorite restaurant. Yes. Also, family-style dining doesn't usually imply that you have to sit with other families. I mean, the only place I've seen that happen is at, like, a hibachi place. Which also, well, which I do understand her point. That makes me uncomfortable. I hate sitting with strangers at those Yeah, places. nobody likes I that. I hate it so much. But why, in, for the love of God, would this Amish restaurant that sounds otherwise typical just be seating everybody together? Maybe because of that menu. Fucking read that shit. So, this is just one of the, of the menus that is described in detail least two or three other points in this book. Daniel enjoyed the Pennsylvania Dutch meal that had been served, which consisted of fried chicken, meatloaf, buttered noodles, potato filling, which I think is stuffing, homemade rolls, chow chow, and green beans. Fried chicken and meatloaf. In the same meal. With buttered noodles and potatoes and rolls. <laughs> All that healthy food. You Amish are that healthy food. You know, Joe, I hear they grow their own like the pioneers. Is that true? Huh? Huh? Yeah, chow chow. 
Chow Chow. I hear they grow their own shoe fly pie. Is that true, Missy? Fresh pick. Let's find out. I have a, what's your, uh, Kristen, what's your Romstein lyric word? I actually did not come up, there was not one in this book, but I can tell you that they use the word Wonder Bar nine times. Nine times. So more times than they more more mentioned than that crippled. she was crippled. Yes. Yeah, she didn't, she didn't pull as many Pennsylvania Dutch word, words into this one. I feel like she's getting a little lazy. Well, the one I liked was, uh, he's kind of gutkuchik, gutkuchik, G-U-T, G-U-C, K-I-C-H. We Then the following paragraph says, if you think he's so handsome, then why aren't you riding home with him? So now we know that word means handsome. Goot, gook, kitsch. Anybody say? I can't fucking say it. Good looking is how that would translate, I believe. Oh, uh, that's the one I highlighted for the Rammstein uh, one. Um, Another point that I, I really wanted to discuss is how... I wanted to discuss Nadine, Rebecca's younger sister, who is scoffed at for her wild ideas of possibly not wanting to get married and not have a husband. Um, which, again, like, would be taboo in the Amish, in, like, Amish world, but, like, as books written for evangelical Christians, it like, I mean, it's not surprising to me. It's just very disheartening. But she is boy crazy. She does want to fuck. She she wants to fuck, but she has stated, she's like, well, I don't need to get married. And I'm like, yeah, Nadine, yeah. But like, we all know, like in the future books, Nadine's going to be happily married with like... All of them find domestic bliss. That's a really important yeah. running theme here. No matter what you think you want... It, what this is what you need you're wrong you're wrong yeah also i decided we've got the return of the courting buggy multiple times the idea that the young men have these special buggies that uh, jessica's confirmed actually exist yes they do exist um and they what makes them courting buggies is that they're open so you can tell the kids aren't fingering each other <laughs> yeah well theoretically i mean if it's dark out yeah i call really... them fingering buggies because they keep giving each other rides home you know, after it might be and stuff. difficult, though. I can't imagine how you would drive the buggy and also finger your date at the same time. I mean, the horse is straight road. I'm sure the horses. I mean, horses know their way home. Yeah. Do they? I mean, yeah, they yeah, can but get their some way of those home. horses are hot, man. Like, yeah, they just like swerve out into the road, and then I mean, maybe that's how all the accidents happen. You know, like when the tourists run into the horse and buggies, it's like obviously the driver was fingering his date. There's probably a whole safety campaign around. You know, instead of texting and driving, don't finger and buggy <laughs> don't drive. Finger and drive. Yeah, it's widespread. <laughs> it's a real problem with the youth. And on the subject of the courting buddy buggy, can we uh, revisit that moment where so Rebecca's brother has a courting buggy? Yes. Yeah, but he's like twelve. He's old enough to have a courting buggy, is all I know. I thought he was anywhere between 12 and 19. I couldn't pinpoint it. Can we can we just discuss how he was going to leave his sister just in the middle of the woods? <laughs> <laughs> so that he could go and get his dick wet in his courting buggy? Hose before bros, man. Or I guess she wouldn't be a bro. That's probably the most realistic thing Wanda's ever written. I mean, but seriously. Yeah, no, like your teenage brother just like being like, Peace, find your own way home. Oh, wait, that's right. You can't walk. Oh, well, I'm sure you'll manage. I mean, aside from the, you know, not being able to walk, I have been in that situation where I've gone to visit my brother in college and known nobody and gone to a party and he just fucking disappears because he wants to get his dick wet. So actually, that was a very relatable passage for me. Yeah, Wanda's been there. Yeah. Okay, any other any other thoughts before we close? I don't think so. I was just generally disappointed by uh, by this follow-up to her first book that we read. I just thought she kind of phoned it in. Yeah, she definitely just took, like, Miriam's personality and put it onto a wheelchair. Oh, yeah, yeah. even Miriam even talks to her about their... Oh, yeah, Aunt Miriam is back. Or Aunt Mim. Mim. That's what they call her, Aunt Mim. Yeah. And she uses her experience when she was younger and had a bitter heart to kind of counsel Rebecca and, and bring her around. And, you know, Aunt Mim has been such a great source of comfort to her, so... 
I mean, fuck off, Aunt Mem. Fuck I just... off. Your boyfriend dumped you? That's totally analogous to my complete lack of ability to move the lower half of my body. Suck Definitely the same thing. Definitely the same and thing. And Aunt Mem is responsible for paralyzing her. Let's not forget that. It's all her fault. Oh, yeah. I think, like, one of the big, big things to be aware of, too, in this book is, like, Rebecca is obviously depressed. And instead of actually getting her, like, help, they're just like, no, why don't you just get married? Just get married, it'll be fine. Get married and uh, build a greenhouse, and uh, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Mary Ellen, her cousin, much like Aunt Mim, has to abandon teaching whenever she marries. But do they, yes. I guess because it's a joint couple business, she gets to keep the greenhouse after they get married? I would think. I mean, she can keep her baby bassinet right next to her little weird bed in the back room of her greenhouse. Yeah, she mm-hmm. can lie down anytime she wants. I mean, she like runs it from home, basically. So. Yeah, it's probably fair. Yeah. Anybody any, any uh, closing quotes? I forgot we were supposed to do those. The only ones I didn't read that I uh, really love were there were at least two references where Daniel drops to his knees. She uses that phrase twice. She says um, he's bringing her something for the greenhouse. And he says uh, he placed it on the floor, dropped to his knees and lifted the flaps, uh, which I mm. think is a it's pretty clear metaphor for eating pussy. <laughs> is that like is that like a term for like a really not sexy term for like pussy lips and that's what i'm thinking yeah the flaps oh, oh god i hope they're not flappy <laughs> <laughs> you know when you're paralyzed your muscles mm. atrophy little known fact your your labia also do they no i'm not a doctor no. <laughs> disclaimer oh i'm gonna go with this quote from when daniel breaks his leg searing pain shot through his leg and when he tried to stand he knew without question that his leg had been broken huh he shouted you better come on over here because my leg is busted (laughs) he just informs him of this in this just very matter of fact way like as if he had kicked over the milk bucket i don't know anybody that would like have a femur broken and have to be like uh my leg's busted yeah the amish are stoics is what we're supposed to get from this they expect to have their legs busted. I have watched Amish women give birth without epidurals, without a single sound. So maybe there is something to that. Do they value not making sound? Is that, I know I've seen. I don't, I don't know if it's like, like, I mean. That's they're, a Scientologist. Their yeah. women are supposed to be like quiet and meek of spirit, you know, like they're supposed to be. So, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess to some extent they probably would value that but it's just it's just really weird because usually you go into a room and you're expecting the baby to come out and the woman's losing her mind even if she has an epidural which is understandable because you're about to shove a watermelon out of your pussy but like the Amish there's like no warning you're just like standing there waiting and all of a sudden it's like oh god there's a baby in the bed and you didn't even know because she didn't make a noise well I have read a couple things about how um like genetically homogenous populations tend to have easier deliveries mm, really that would be oh that's interesting yeah because, well, like, over the many generations, you know, they've gotten selected for families of women with, you know, good pelvises. Mm, and um, everyone is, is equally sized in proportion. So you don't have, like, you know, like a four foot eleven woman trying to push out the baby made by some six foot four dude who, you know. Yeah. That is so interesting. I will definitely think of that yeah. next time I watch an Amish woman deliver. It's one of the more uh, positive uh, side effects of the founder syndrome in breeding. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, along with the negative, like, maple syrup urine disease and oh. bacterial association. and That's yeah, a good name for this episode, maple syrup urine disease. It's true. It mm-hmm. actually smells like maple syrup. Um, disgusting and delicious. That's... <laughs> Both yeah, of those things. and comes along with a uh, mental disability. So amazing. 
All right. So next time, uh, what are we doing? What's uh, what's our next book? Oh, I am excited for next week. Okay. Yes. Next week, we are reading Plain and Fancy, <gasps> the third book in the Brides of Lancaster County series. But this one, we're taking a little di- diversion. And in this one, we're going to be reading the Romeo and Juliet love story of an English woman and an Amish man. Oh, may I read the publisher description? The What I assume is what I was on the back of the book, if you have the physical book. Oh, please. Please, please do. Is it good for two people, one plain, the other fancy, to fall in love? Laura Mead loves her modern life, yet she's fascinated by the Amish culture in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, where she's studying interior design. Wow. That's where I go. (laughs) Lancaster. (laughs) Boy, does Kutztown have a strong interior design program. (laughs) Upon their first meeting, she's immediately attracted to Eli Yoder, one of the plain people. But Laura has no real concept about faith, God's love, and forgiveness, forgiveness of sins. Eli is also enamored with Laura, but to marry outside his faith would be forbidden. What then is the hope for love? Plain and Fancy is book three in the Brides of Lancaster County series. Others in the series include book one, book two, and book four. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Any guesses on how that one's going to end? Um, she's going to be Amish. Or she totally corrupts him and like they join some Satanist church, but probably not. Yeah, I think it could be the two ways. Either she she converts um, and learns uh, real concepts about faith, God's love, and forgiveness of sins, or... Um, or he marries a nice Amish girl. Yeah, and he, yeah. much like the subplot with Miriam and the English uh, English new- Pulitzer yes. winning newspaper journalist. <laughs> Nick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he did not come back. See, but I think that because the Amish one in this one is the dude, I think the lady is going to uh, conform to her husband's belief system as a lady should. Very, very good prediction. Very good prediction. She loves interior design, so they're going to have a really well-appointed farmhouse. Um, Not if she learned interior design in Lancaster County. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of uh, country chic themes. Uh, A lot of shabby chic uh, stores selling just junk. Shabby chic rooms that look like the interior of a cracker barrel. Yes, exactly. Beautiful. All right, ladies. It was a pleasure, as always. As As always. always. And uh, we'll see see you all for book three.